Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Come on in. Find a seat. We want to get our celebration started today. Thank you for joining us here at Woodland Life Center. And um, you are in for a real treat today um, with our special guest that has come a long ways up from Colorado Springs to uh, spend some time with us and share his story with us. And you are going to be amazed at the story that we're going to hear today. Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Brian. Uh, I, I hang out here quite a bit and uh, want to welcome you to our space today. And I hope that you will have an, uh, just a, a, an authentic encounter today with God. Um, he's here today, and he's excited about us coming together to, to uh, worship him and, and to hear about what he has done through the life of one Jim Downing. Uh, I hope you received a bulletin on your way in. It's got some great information about what's happening around here, so I'd encourage you to take some time to look through that. The main thing I would like to highlight is that we are serving a dinner here this Thursday uh, afternoon. I think it's 11 to 1 is the time frame for anyone that needs assistance with a Thanksgiving meal. Um, so you may know somebody. Uh, you may uh, have somebody in your circle of influence that could use some help with a Thanksgiving meal. We're actually serving one right here in this room. They can come anytime between 11 and 1 p.m. this Thursday to receive that meal and to, to eat as much as they want to. We're also doing that Christmas Day, by the way, same time, same place, just a different day, okay? Um, so uh, we really want to minister to the needy in our community, and this is one of the ways that we can do that. Now, you may want to help serve. You may want to volunteer this coming Thursday and help with that, Um and I was hoping to be able to see Paul Welsh. Hey, oh, you're right there, dead center. Paul, what time would you like volunteers to come this Thursday morning? Be here by 1030. So if that's something you'd like to do, even if you can only give an hour, um, an hour would be a huge help. And we got all kinds of different ways that people are going to help serve. So if you could be here at 1030, we love to have kids helping out too. It's a great opportunity for families to minister side by side. Okay, so this Thursday morning, 1030 for volunteers, dinner's being served from 11 to 1. Okay, awesome. Otherwise, take some time to look through this. Thank you for taking the time to come and join us today. Uh, we want to welcome you, and we want to invite you to stand with us if you can. Shake a few hands around. Just greet one another. Welcome one another into this space. Let's join together in worship.
many wonderful faces. I'm seeing people I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, well, if you're new here, my name is Mia. I am, the, I am a worship intern here, and so sometimes I get to lead worship on Sunday morning, so this is one of those weeks. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so let's get this party started. One, two, three.
so grateful for what you've done for us, for the gift of your salvation, Jesus. As unworthy as we are, you've accepted us and you've chosen us. Jesus, we just fix our eyes on you. You are worthy. You are our king. Hallelujah. 
scripture with me. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and they will worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name for you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Jesus, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O oh God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me, for they have no regard for you. But you, Lord, you are compassionate, and you are a gracious God. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love and faithfulness. He is slow to anger. No matter what you've done or what you've thought, no matter what you're going to do, he is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, Jesus. We are so grateful. We worship you. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. You, you are
those words and close your eyes if you want to you are holding on Jesus just worship him
are holding on to you. We trust that you are holding on to us to return. Nothing can pluck us from your hand, Jesus. Thank you.
crimson stain he Jesus, we honor you today for who you are, the God of all the universe, creator of all things, but also for what you have done for us, what you did for us on the cross over 2,000 years ago is still changing our lives today, is still saving us today, bringing us bringing the world hope today. Eternal life through the work that you did on the cross is ours. And so we say thank you and we honor you today. This is your place. And we are your people called by your name. We just choose to park ourselves in your presence and open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you would want to speak to us about or just accomplish in us and even through us today. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. And as you're doing so, I want to invite our ushers to join me up front as we get to continue our worship experience through giving. What a joy it is to be able to do that. Jesus, you are our provider. Thank you for the provision that has come. Thank you in advance for the provision that is coming. Take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it, build your church with it, we pray in Christ's name. my friend and brother Bob Magistrelli up here and he because he has been such a longtime friend of our special guest here today I wanted him to introduce him with us so welcome Bob thank you thank you um, <laughs> I don't know what we've all um, we've all met amazing people in our lifetime and uh, 
Jim Downing is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. As Pastor Brian might have mentioned to you, Jim is 104 years old. Is that right, Jim? 104. He's a Pearl Harbor um, veteran. He's the captain of a ship during his military days, and he's one of the six original members of the Navigators. And that's how I met Jim. But really, folks, really. <laughs> 104 years old and still traveling around the world and the country. Are you kidding? I can barely get out of bed in the morning. But Jim, but Jim is still traveling around the country and the world proclaiming Jesus and telling his amazing life story to collegiates and business people and, and people in all walks of life who have an ear to hear. In fact, uh, even today, Jim is scheduled to fly out and meet with the former president of the United States, George H.W. Bush, for some personal time with Mr. Bush. He does things like this, Jim does. So the man, Jim Downing, a genuine man of God, a true disciple of Jesus. And like Moses, I like this illustration. Like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, I think Jim has something to say to each of us this morning. And I would hope that you would feel free to ask him questions as well. Right, Karen? <laughs> also, at the end of the service, at the back, Jim will be having a book signing. He has copies of two of the books he's written. And he pers Jim personally guarantees that if you read and apply the principles from his book on meditation, if you read and apply the principles from that book, you too will live to be at least 103. Am I right about that guarantee, Jim? No. Mr. Downing doesn't guarantee that if you read and apply the principles, you will live to be 103. My mistake. <laughs> but anyway, Jim has something to say, and we'll look forward to hearing what that is, Jim. Would you like to come up? No. Okay. Thank you. As... As he's making his way up, we've got some videos we want you to enjoy that kind of prepares us for what we're about to experience. 7.55 a.m. Sunday morning, December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor near Honolulu, Hawaii. Retired U.S. Navy Lieutenant Jim Downing remembers that day as if it were yesterday. I'd just been married for five months. We were having breakfast when the first bombs dropped. We turned on the radio. Two hundred miles off Hawaii, six Japanese aircraft carriers under Admiral Yamamoto had launched 353 aircraft led by Commander Mitsuo Fushida in a surprise attack against the Pacific Fleet. Jim scrambled from his house toward his ship, the USS West Virginia, berthed on Battleship Row. So the first airplane that came my direction was all drab. I thought it was an army plane. Then he came flying low and slow. He had machine guns. The bullets went right over my head. 
That's when the war became very personal. Simultaneous air attacks were underway at six U.S. airfields. The first wave of attack along Battleship Row crippled or sunk the might of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. We were tied up with the Oklahoma in front of us and the Arizona behind. The Oklahoma capsized and turned over. So here we were with the Oklahoma upside down in front of us, the Arizona burning like a volcano behind. Jim first boarded the flaming deck of the USS Tennessee and slid down its five-inch gun barrel onto the West Virginia. Massive torpedo strikes had already sunk the West Virginia into the shallow waters. I could see the fire spreading toward the ammunition. I took a fire hose from the Tennessee and tried to cool the ammunition so it wouldn't explode because the fire was spreading to everything above the waterline. Millions of gallons of crude oil from the USS Arizona Oklahoma, California, and four other damaged or sinking battleships ignited the water in flames. Oil is lighter than water, so it stayed at the top. And to see sailors being blown over the side into that oily water, sink underneath, come up, and the oil was on fire, and to see their bodies just burn like a human torch. That was the worst experience I could imagine is seeing those human torches burning. I ran the whole gamut of emotions. The first was surprise, and then there was fear, and they turned to anger that our leadership had let us down. And then there was pride to see our man without leadership instinctively doing the right thing. As the second wave of attack swooped in on the USS Nevada, Jim says he felt peace while fighting the inferno. I felt like, Lord, I'll be with you in a minute. And I fully expected to be. So I had the deepest peace I've ever felt in my life. And I think that was it. I'm gonna be with you in a minute. An African-American mess steward who would typically be confined to cleaning duties carried his commander to safety and then fired an anti-aircraft gun until he ran out of ammo. We honor Americans like Jim Downing, a gunner's mate, first class of the West Virginia. Before he raced to the harbor, his new bride pressed into his hand a verse of scripture. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. As Jim fought to save his ship, he simultaneously gathered the names of the fallen so that he could give closure to their families. He said, it was just something you do. by which I've tried to live my life. Do everything you can to live that life you truly want, the one that will bring you joy. As for how to live a happy and long life, well, we would like to introduce you to Lieutenant Jim Downing. He's a veteran of Pearl Harbor. He's 104 years old, and he settled for more every step of the way. 
Hello, sir. I'm so delighted to meet you. At 104, Jim Downing's wit is as sharp as his dress code. You have your, your navy whites on today. Um, what do those mean to you? There are 23 million of us living and don't get much uh, recognition. So anything I can do to attract attention to the veterans, I want to do it. One of the last living veterans of the Pearl Harbor attack, Jim says his Navy career began with humble goals. What was the beginning of your time in the Navy like? I wanted to travel, see the world. Uh, also, like many others, the main drive was economic. Nine years into his service, Jim, stationed in Hawaii, where he met his wife, Morena, was nearly killed as America saw herself dragged into war. We only knew we were under attack by the Japanese when we saw their airplanes and saw them dropping their bombs and torpedoes. Everybody, instinctively and immediately, without regard to their own safety, did the right thing. They just saw what needed to be done and jumped in and did it. What role did God play for you that fateful day? I thought I was going to be blown up. And um, so my conversation with God is, I'll be with you in a minute. But a minute went by for about 30 minutes and I wasn't taken. But I experienced the greatest peace I've ever had in my life, knowing that God was in charge. Jim ministered fellow soldiers while in the Navy. He would go on to serve in World War II, the Korean War, as well as during the Cold War. And in 1954, again stationed at Pearl Harbor, this time as a captain, he survived the radioactive fallout from the first hydrogen bomb test by the U.S. Jim and his crew were just 100 miles from the blast. We had the equivalent of 490 dental x-rays on every inch of our bodies. But Jim has led a long and healthy life. He and Morena, married for 68 years, had seven children, nine grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. Morena died in 2010. A few years later, Jim's grown son died, too. Ask Jim about his tragedies or his triumphs, and his optimism never seems to waver. He says thanks to his faith, his cornerstone in life. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Downing. Thank you, thank you for that. Jim, I, I mentioned to you earlier that we had put out a special invitation to veterans in our area, um, and a number of them have come today, and we wanted to take a moment and honor them, and Jim had a few words he wanted to speak to you. If, if you are a veteran here today, if you have served or are currently serving, would you stand right now so that we can honor your service There are 20, 
of <coughs> 23 million veterans who have become veterans since 19, uh, in the last 76 years. Of that 23 million, 1.4 million are disabled. Another quarter million suffer from post-traumatic distress disorder. So 39,000 are homeless. An average of uh, 22 commit suicide every day. And natural causes, 300 a day of veterans are leaving. So uh, I never feel more, more at home any place <clears throat> than when I'm with veterans. So nice to be with you this morning. And uh, Bob, great to see you again. And uh, your wife, Karen, behind. Karen, why don't you stand up? You've been a friend for longer than I can remember. So good to see you here, too. Um, before we get um, started in more serious things, you know, I always kind of like to warm up and identify with the people. Um, on my 100th birthday, I knew I would be asked the secret of my longevity. So uh, to make a speech, I went online to see if I could find somebody who had done this before. And sure enough, on the 100th birthday, this fellow had written down uh, what he said in answer to a longevity question. He said, uh, spend a lot of time outdoors. Well, that didn't seem to be the best advice, so uh, he went on and he said, I was married when I was 25, and on our honeymoon, my wife and I made a covenant that whenever we had a disagreement, the loser would go outside. <laughs> well, that didn't happen to me, so uh, the short answer is, choose good grandparents. I think that's the medical secret that uh, we who have passed 100 uh, have a gene that nobody has. It skips generations, but it keeps showing up every few generations. Two cousins of mine, one lived to be 103, another 105. So I, I believe that's the secret, to choose good grandparents. <laughs> um, it's impossible for me <clears throat> to know uh, what I might know or experience that you'd be interested in. That's the reason I like uh, question and answer sessions. Um, I believe the educational process is getting uh, answers to questions about, about what you have an interest. But there are some hazards in question and answer. I heard about the two men that were going to go to the ball game. They thought it'd be more sporting if one of them bought both tickets. So they said, um, uh, instead, tossing a coin, we will ask each other questions. The first person that can't answer the other's question buys the tickets. One ground rule, the person who asks the question has to know the answer. 
So they started out. And the first man said to the second, how does a rabbit dig a hole without leaving any dirt? And he struggled a little bit and said, well, I don't know. And I don't think you know either, so I'm not going to buy the tickets. And the first man said, oh, I know the answer. You do? What is it? He said, he starts at the bottom. And then pretty rapidly, the second man said, how do you get down there? He said, that's your question. <laughs> so you know who brought the tickets. Well, Pastor Brian, uh, let's get going on whatever you want to do. Yes, here. yes. Well, we have a handful of questions here, and then if uh, we only have, I, I know we've got to get to book signing probably about 11.15 or so, because you got to get out of here at noon to go hang out with, you know, bigwigs like former presidents. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Um. I guess the first question is, and, and there was a number of questions that, that we had answered through the videos, can you share with us what year was it when you joined the Navy, and then could you tell us what a normal day was like, like for instance, December the 6th, what was, what was a normal day like for you, when did you start in the Navy, and then what was a normal day like? Yes, um, I graduated from high school in 1932 which is the uh, middle of the Great Depression. Like many other uh, young men my age, the only way to find a place of security and a little money was in the military. I had a friend who had uh, joined the Navy two years before I did. He was on a submarine. His take-home pay was $90 a month. My father was a bank president. His take-home pay was $90 a month. So it looked to me like these guys in the Navy were capitalists. So that's one of the things that motivated me, but it was purely economic. Now, the uh, <clears throat> main part of the fleet, normally based on the West Coast, moved out to Pearl Harbor in uh, 1940. And the president, justifying that move, said, we want to show Japan that we're 2,000 miles closer. They better watch out. The uh, harbor of Honolulu is a beautiful harbor, but it's a narrow neck to get in. The commander-in-chief, when he's told to do that, said, uh, I cannot be responsible for this fleet getting bottled up in there if the entrance is closed. He got fired. Another... Admiral, a friend of the president, took over. So peace negotiations were uh, underway. The uh, Japanese said, we don't want war. We're going to send a special peace ambassador to work out our differences. So he arrived in Pearl Harbor on uh, Friday. On Saturday morning, took off for uh, Washington, D.C., all the time, he knew that the Japanese fleet was just over the horizon. So we were not on a particular alert. And uh, December 6th, had a regular routine, which is uh, <clears throat> clean up the ship so they look nice, and uh, polish the brass, and just do tests like that. So we were caught 
totally off, off guard, including bringing in our patrols to show the peace ambassador that we had no warlike intentions. And then that day, we've heard um, some already of, of, of what that day was like. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about December the 7th, 1941? I, didn't, I missed the first part of it. Sorry. Well, we, we had already heard some, some of the story of, of that day. Um, is there anything else that you could share with us about your experience um, that that day. Um, when I went in the Navy, I decided if I made a career out of it, I'd probably be involved in at least one war. So when I saw the Japanese planes attacking and saw the rising sun printed under the wing, I said, this is it. And so my job was to do what I'd been trained to do. So uh, that was how I felt, you know. I've been married just uh, five months and looking forward to having a good weekend to my new bride. And there, when I saw these bombs dropping and torpedoes dropping, I didn't know even when I'd see her again or if I would at all. So it made quite a change in our lives that morning. The first 11 minutes, uh, 2,100 about were killed the first 11 minutes during that raid. And uh, there were eight battleships in port. They were the main target for the Japanese. Um, two of them were totally destroyed. The others were repairable. So they were able to get back into the war. And I'm um, often asked, I think, a good question. Uh, did you ever have the sense, uh, the feeling you were going to lose, and we'd become a captive in Japan. And I would say no. Um, we have a competitive society. From the time the kids are playing football, almost in kindergarten, the idea is to win. And everybody I knew said, I don't know how long it's going to take, take but we're going to get even with the Japanese. We, we know that uh, we, we've heard stories as well about that attack, that, that um, the Japanese planes were coming in very close. Did you have any uh, in, uh, um, really close encounters with, with, with some of the pilots, uh, some of the kamikaze pilots? Were you able to see them up close? I had a um, white uniform on. And the first Japanese plane I saw picked me and about five of those with me as a target. Our white uniforms are just very uh, um, conspicuous. So he banked his plane. When he thought he was at the right angle, the machine gunner cut loose. And uh, he didn't bank far enough. So the bullets went over our heads and dug a trench. That's when the war became very personal. Now, since the Japanese had dropped nine aerial torpedoes on my ship and it was sinking, they didn't try to do anything for it to do the damage to us. We were already out of commission. That makes sense. 
following that day, what were some of the thoughts and emotions, and you shared with us in the, in the video the, the, the range of emotions that went through you that day, um, and it landed at pride um, and, and, and our military response. But following that event, so over the next months and, and even few years, what were the thoughts and emotions that you experienced? And, and, and I'm asking this especially towards the Japanese. Yes. Um, everybody in the Navy has uh, two jobs, a military job and a housekeeping job. Our crew amounted to 1,500. I was the postmaster, and uh, with 105 killed, others wounded, and others missing, and going to other ships, I still had a job. So I set up a, a temporary post office uh, on shore. So my duties continued on until 1943 uh, as a postmaster when I went, got orders to a new battleship. Now, about the Japanese, um, I uh, have traveled much of the world, and I'm always delighted to see how much people of different cultures and uh, languages, nationalities, seem to be curious about the others. They love them. They want to get acquainted. They want to teach them. They want to be taught. So. Uh, on that level, I believe that the people of the world love each other. It's when some ambitious, power-hungry aggressor poisons the minds of his people with propaganda and lies that one people is turned against another. On the morning of December 7th, one of the battleships pretty close to ours was the Maryland. And uh, the um, Bomber came in, began dropping uh, bombs on it. And I found out later that a pilot in that plane was, uh, uh, he mentioned in one of the films here, named Fushida. Twelve years later, <clears throat> he came to uh, Pearl Harbor again, this time as a Christian missionary. I'll Christian family there on Oharu uh, had a reception for him. I was invited. I wasn't sure how I was going to respond. <laughs> but as we went up the reception line to shake hands with him, my wife was very gushy. Isn't it wonderful that we who were enemies can now be brothers and sisters in Christ? As I approached him, the last thing I could remember is what I saw up there. I'm afraid I gave him a rather limp handshake and reminded him I was on the West Virginia that morning. He said, yes, I remember that ship. Well, as I listened to him later other times, read his writings, I believe there was genuine remorse for what he did. He was writing a book after the war called No More Pearl Harbor. But he didn't know how the primitive instincts in man for vengeance 
uh, could be tamed. So he got hold of a Bible, was resolved about it, it made sense to him, and he became a Christian. So my uh, summary was that um, uh, I've done wrong. God has forgiven me. I think he probably did more wrong than I did. But God has forgiven him. If God has forgiven him, who am I not to forgive him? Wow. We understand that there were about 70,000 men and women at Pearl Harbor that day. There were some there that day that knew the Lord and some who did not. And, and though the attack on Pearl Harbor is about as horrifying as anything that, that we in this room could imagine, the truth is we all face hard times, scary circumstances. Jim, your walk with God is, is evident to everyone that comes in contact with you. I'm wondering, is, is there a couple of things that you could share with us about your relationship with God that you believe has really made all the difference in how you have, how, how you endured and processed all that you went through? It all started when uh, I was in elementary school. And in the, the days when I graduated, they used to have a baccalaureate sermons, a pastor included in a part of the graduation. And after he talked a little bit, he said, but the best advice that I could give you is get acquainted with Jesus Christ. He'll be the best friend you'll ever have. That was 82 years ago. I did not take his advice immediately, but within a few years, as I was uh, serving on the battleship West Virginia, I met uh, Five of the guys who were Christians, they seemed to be getting a real kick and enjoyment out of life. But as I analyzed my life, there's a verse in Proverbs 14 which describes what was going on. And that is, there's a way which seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And then the punchline. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. So I had all the natural advantages that a person would ever have, but I wasn't happy. And uh, I meet a lot of people that are unhappy today also. Well, when I got acquainted with Jesus Christ, I read a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 18:24. There's a friend who sticks closer that a brother. In recruit training, there were two brothers in my company. At the end of every day, I'd watch them get together and commiserate and build each other up, and they kept pretty stable. I said, if I just had one of my brothers with me, I could stand this life, but I didn't. I didn't know that a friend is closer to brother. He's also a friend closer than a mother, and I had uh, 68 years of marriage, 
and know also he's closer than a lover. So that's kind of a person that Jesus Christ is. I've given him command of my life. I hope in every way, and uh, all I'm going to do is what he wants me to do. I don't know how long it's going to continue, but uh, uh, that's been my life. And uh, I would say to uh, anybody that might be contemplating going in the military, and you think, well, if I be become a Christian or behave like a Christian, why, it'll affect my career. It did affect my career. I got the best jobs all the time because my superiors knew they could uh, depend on me. If there was something critical to be done on Monday morning, they wanted somebody that was sober. So uh, being a, a Christian, whatever your career, is an advantage to have Jesus alongside. Wow. Wow. One of the things you said several times uh, on the videos, and I think you even mentioned it where you're sitting here, is uh, when, that, when, that was be, when, when that was happening to you, you said, well, Lord, I want to see you in a minute. Well, here you are over 70 years later, and um, you, uh, you, you've experienced a number of generations uh, of, of people coming behind you. Yours is known as the greatest generation. Uh, my grandfather joined the Navy uh, about the same time as you did, but he's younger than you, and he had to fib uh, to, to get into the Navy. He was actually too young to enlist. But there was something about your generation that wasn't going to be held back from, from serving. And um, this, was, this, this was the commitment, the passion, and the service that, that seemed to define your generation. And here we are now. There's about an 80-year gap between you and the generation of of twenty somethings that um, are, are are here today, and 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 I'm I'm curious. Um, what do you see in in this young generation? The, the the students that you've been ministering with, speaking to. Um, there's just not oftentimes there's a lot of negative outlook uh, on. On, on the next generation, as we call them, what, what, what do you see in them? Well, first of all, uh, history that I have studied shows that every generation thinks there's the worst and that the world's going to come to an end while they're alive. I didn't bring it with me, but I've got a sheet of quotes. And... Uh, I'll start with this one, see if you can recognize where it comes from. The man said, uh, children should only listen to good music. They should get their hair cut properly. That was Plato, 400 years before Christ. The complaint of Socrates was athletics have become professionalized. And one of the Caesars said, uh, first of June, nothing done but the Senate. But my favorite is, um, 
uh, one that was found on a tablet inscribed 3,000 years ago, 3,000 BC rather, 5,000 years ago. It said, uh, there are signs the world is coming to an end. Bribery and violence are every place. Children no longer obey their parents. Add to two other things. But even in 5,000 BC, they thought the world was going to end another generation. Um, I spoke to about 30 cadets at the Air Force Academy last night, and they asked some of the same uh, questions. But um, I feel every generation is smarter, they can get more done in less time. But lest you get too proud, it's because of the tools that we gave you. So I say, take the tools we've given you, continue to make a difference in the world, but uh, uh, don't leave us out of the picture. It's the tools we've provided that makes that possible for you. Wow. Yeah. We have about 10 minutes, and uh, maybe there are a few out here with us today that, that would have a question that they would like to ask Jim. Um, and so I'm going to ask um, someone, Steve, you want to grab a microphone and just kind of be ready? Is there any, anyone? Um, yes. Did you hear that okay? Uh, maybe you, she, she want, she's uh, asking about your wife and wondering about the violence of, of, the, of December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day. How did that affect her? She was, um, she was present, and uh, uh, the civilian population was not affected. But she uh, rushed down, gave blood the first thing. She got ready to the war effort encourage others to do it. Um, because she was not a part of the war effort, she had to come home on um, December 25th. So by our first two years of marriage, we were separated for uh, all but f five months of it. She was a real trooper and could be an encouraged to others who didn't have the strength of Christ that she had. Did did she, how long was it before she knew that you had survived? How, how long did she have to wait for that information? Um, a friend of mine called her the next morning after the attack. And she came out to the base and I saw her the next morning. I was in a white uniform that uh, was black with oil. My hair hadn't shaved. But she said I looked the greatest she'd ever seen me look that morning. I'm sure. 24 hours. We're in a day and age where we can learn something within minutes because of 
Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever that yeah. people are using. But she had to wait on pins and needles yeah. for a whole day before she could have that verified. That, that is, that's amazing. And we have another question. Jim, it's great to have you here. I just read your book, Legacy, this week. Would you tell the audience a little bit about your involvement with Dawes Trotman and how you came to be with the Navigators and how you came to know the Lord? Yes. I met the uh, five people that Dawson Trotman was in contact with. And um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't influenced a lot by their teaching, but by their lives. They lived it. They had a resource that I didn't have. So the primary reason I became a Christian was I wanted the quality of life that they had. And that's the reason I'm continuing today. I want God's best. And that's the quality of life through uh, relating to Him. A couple more questions. My father, my father's Donald's dive bomber pilot, 91 years old. He's still with us. And I'm too young to be the old. I normally <clears throat> don't like talking in front of folks. I'm pretty quiet. Um, I was a soldier for 40 years. I was a Marine sniper for two tours in Vietnam. Green Beret for 33 years after. I've been in every war and fights since then. I've always been a Christian since I was seven. And God never forgot me. But I have a blemish. I have a, a loving wife of 38 years, two daughters and a son, two granddaughters, son-in-law. And I know, uh, forgive me, I was wounded seven times in combat, was tortured four days in North Vietnam. That's not the blemish. I know. No greater love hath a man. Those are Jesus' words. I was in Mogadishu when I lost my best friend. Chopped him up in a garbage bag. I got him back five days later. He got the Medal of Honor. It's Gary Gordon, of course. They, uh, I have fought, fought on every continent except Antarctica. The, uh, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, I have a hard time 
I can forgive. I can't forget. But I'm having a hard time loving my enemies. The generation that the pastor is talking about is the uh, greatest generation. Uh, I feel that you guys, the next generation, you're the greatest generation. You're in competition for that title. So uh, uh, we really look up to and honor you guys that are in the generation following the greatest generation. That's right. We really have time, maybe just for one more. Harry, that, thank you. One more. And, and any other questions after this, you'll be able to ask him at the table back here. But we do have to get him out of, out of our building by noon so he can make a flight to former president. Mr. Downing, Mr. Downing I'm, I'm, I'm too young to call you Jim. Uh, Mr. Downing, after 104 years in America, having seen all that you have seen, what do you think about our leaders today and uh, the youth of today and the future of our country? I am uh, very optimistic. Our country has uh, faced crises several times, but we always pulled out of on top. So somehow, our leaders are going to figure out how to do the right thing to get it done and protect our freedom. So um, I believe our scientists are smarter, our leaders are smarter than any generation before. And although it may look bad, uh, they're going to pull us out of it because the people are going to demand their freedom. So I'm optimistic. The greatest thing I'm afraid of is the... Uh, more than 2,000 atomic warheads owned by nine countries. And uh, Russia has 10,000 of them. We have about 8,000. I'm afraid that somebody that's irresponsible or make a mistake, and one of those is get started off. So what I pray and try to teach is that every atomic weapon will be destroyed. Not that we cut back, limit the number. As long as there's one in existence, why uh, our country is in peril. Jim, in, in closing, would you do us the honor of praying over us? Um, I, I'd really want to pray over you, but I, I just, would you do that for us today? Yeah, sure would. Thank you. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that when we come into your presence in the name and on the merits of Christ, that our prayers are heard. So thank you for hearing our prayers. Father, you have uh, promised, as we in all our ways acknowledge you, that you will direct our paths. And you've told us that as we... Uh, Put you first, you'll give us the desires of our heart. So I pray for every person in this room that they will have the certainty that you're guiding 
their paths into what you want them to do. And along the way, that you will give them the very desires of their hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you thank Jim Downing one more time? While you remain standing, I want to say a blessing over you. Jim's going to get himself over there behind that table for anyone that wants to meet and greet and, and get a book from him, even signed by him. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. Be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace. Have a truly wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you. See you next Sunday. my